We're going to return to our regularly scheduled programming tonight. Amen? Amen. So take your Bibles. We're going back to the book of Philippians as we study Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin by reading verses 9 through 14. The Bible says, And be found in Him, that is being found in Christ, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being made conformable unto His death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So in the previous verses, remember Paul, he was writing about how he could put no confidence in his flesh. He gives this stellar resume that is unmatched by many. And he, as he talks about those things, he's, he's basically saying, look, I could not trust in my past religious efforts. He said, I had to count them all but loss. And by God's grace, Paul, or Saul as he was known at the time, came to learn how none of those things in his past could ever make him righteous in God's sight because he was never found in Christ. If we're not in Christ and all we do is go through motions, that's it. We're just going through motions. But once Paul learned to count all of those things loss, those things that were once gained to him, that were his life, that his whole life led up to, he had to look at all that and be able to say, that's lost to me. And then once he placed his faith in Christ alone for salvation, he could say in verse 9 how he was now found in Christ. And it wasn't because of Saul's own righteousness, but it was because of Christ's righteousness. Amen. It is all because of him. And being found in Christ, he could go on in verse 10 to say, that I may know Him. And we're just recapping here, but this is the Christian life. Knowing Christ. It is a relationship with God through Christ. That is Christianity. The world would have us to believe that it's, it's, it's these observances and it's these nice gothic looking old churches and it's uh, having incense and that it's all these things that God kind of looks at and says, where's your heart? What, what are you doing? You're going through these motions. And, and, and listen, we, we Baptists are good at it. We, we get raised in, in independent Baptist homes. And, and we, we don't, what is the old saying? We don't choose, smoke, dip, whatever they say, or run with those who do, right? I mean, uh, and yet, how many later in life will have to admit, you know, I never did know Christ. I was fooling everybody. I was playing religion. I was going through the motions. I was dotting my I's correctly, I was crossing my T, I was doing all of that, but I did not have a personal daily walk with God. I did not know Him relationally. And so Paul had to count all that but lost so that he could be found in Christ. And so now that he knows the Lord, that he has a walk with God, um, now he could go on to know Jesus more deeply. And, and we've got to understand that this issue about 
that I may know Him at the beginning of verse 10, that's what's going to count when your life is over. We all will stand before God. We will all give an account. But our eternal destination is going to be based upon whether or not we know Christ. We will either hear, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord, or depart from me, I never knew you. So it's all about knowing Christ. And once we know Christ, we are to move further in our Christian life than just having salvation. A lot of people are content to have their ticket punched for heaven and they feel like that's it. But we've got to go on to know Him more. And Paul wanted to go on to know Jesus more than just in salvation, but he wanted to know the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. He wanted to partner up with Christ and His sufferings. You may recall that in verse 9, we see justification. It's the act of being declared righteous, having Christ's righteousness imputed to us. And then while in verse 10, we see sanctification. The process of us being transformed as we desire to know the Lord more and more. Sanctification is something, justification is something where we don't really have a, a, any input into that, so to speak. I mean, we, we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but it is an act of God that justifies us through His blood. Sanctification is something where we as believers, as children of God, we have to decide to get serious about our walk with God and grow closer to Him. It takes an active participation on our part is what I'm saying. And so are you growing deeper? Are you, are you going through the sanctification process? We have to know the power of His resurrection. That was, we had to die. You can't resurrect until you die. We have to die to self. Amen. And, and as we do, we go into the ground just like the seed so that we can bear fruit and we can have life and, and we are conformed into His image through His resurrection power. We are sanctified. We're bearing fruit. And it is from that group of people that will go on to suffer for Christ. And I said last time, now you're getting into that group of people the Bible says of whom the world was not worthy. Not many people will suffer for Christ. Many people are excited about knowing the power of His resurrection, but how many of us would say, yeah, I'm all on board to have the fellowship of His sufferings. And so there's a progression here that we looked at. Some are, are happy to just stay where they're at. They love the world too much to grow. They don't go any further. They're in for a season. We might even dunk them. And then they're gone. And then there are some that they'll, they'll come in, they'll get planted, they'll start to grow. They'll even start to bear fruit. But the Bible talks about when tribulation ariseth, by and by they're offended by the word. Or the cares and riches of this world begin to choke out the word and they become unfruitful. And then there's going to be some who will dare to stand with our Lord through the sufferings. Now, I don't know where you're at in the process, but that was kind of the emphasis last time. Uh, you'll remember that Jesus said in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You see, it is at this point of joining up with the fellowship of His sufferings that we are going into Christian maturity. 
that we're, we're leaving the milk of, of God's word. We're going into the meat of God's word. We're, we're growing. We are being persecuted because we're living righteously in this present evil world. And, and listen, remember, you don't have to go looking for it. It will find you. Now, you can be of that group of cantankerous Baptists that just hate the world and therefore everybody hates them and they're the most persecuted group on the face of the earth. Or you can just live for God, live righteously, and I promise you it'll find you. And um, so where are you at here in this experience of sanctification? We need to always be growing in the knowledge of Christ. We need to go on to experience His resurrection power as we get victory over sin, as we bear fruit. And should we be called to suffer for Christ, we need to gladly enter into that fellowship. And boy, if we can't see the writing on the wall in America now, we better wake up. It's already happening in other nations, and it's coming to a hometown near you. So this brings us to where we left off last time. Look again at verse, two, or at verse 10 as we consider the end of this verse. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. This statement at the end of verse 10, along with verse 11, which we'll look at more next week, has been a source of debate by some. There is the opinion that Paul must have had some kind of a martyr's complex, that he was just itching to be killed for Christ. The thought is that being made conformable unto his death means that Paul was desirous to die just like Christ did upon the cross. The problem with this thought is that Paul was a Roman citizen. And under Roman law, Roman citizens were not crucified. Which is why secular history records Paul was beheaded in Rome, not crucified. There, I have read there were some rare exceptions, but by and large, Roman citizens were never crucified. So Paul did end up laying down his life. And I don't think there was ever a doubt that Paul was more than willing to lay down his life for Christ. But I don't believe the meaning here is that Paul was eager to be killed for his faith. That to me borders on being psychotic. Amen. What, am I talking to a bunch of people that want to die tonight? Uh, It's okay. Amen. It's normal to say I'm willing to lay down my life for my wife, but it's not normal to say I'm eager to do it. Listen, if you're in that group that you're eager to die, just let me know. I'm sure we can send you to Saudi Arabia or Iran or, or somewhere and we can make sure that you're a witness for Christ and that your head gets chopped off or you get crucified or something like that. Point: I don't think that anybody's eager to go through that kind of, of suffering for our Lord. I don't think Paul had a martyr's complex is what I'm saying. Uh, I, I know that he was willing to. And I believe many of you are willing to lay down your life for Christ tonight. But I don't think it means that he was eager to do so. I believe here to be made conformable unto Christ's death, it ties back to joining up with his sufferings, fellowship of his sufferings. When we suffer for Christ, we join him in his humiliation and his reproach. Under the law, there was the requirement for the sin offerings to be burned without the camp. There were portions of it to be burned upon the altar, but the rest of it was to be taken outside the camp. Leviticus 4, 11 and 12 says, And the skin of the bullock and all his flesh with his head and with his legs and with his innards and his dung 
even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burnt. So with that in mind, listen to what the penman of Hebrews writes as he applies this to Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 11, and 12. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. So Christ's sham of a trial that took place, it happened within the city, but when they crucified him, when he became an offering for us, when he, he gave himself for our sin, they led him outside of the gate of the city, and that's where they crucified him there on Golgotha. Mark 15, 20 says, And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. So they wouldn't do this inside the city. They would do it outside the camp, if you will. And it was there on Golgotha that they stripped our Lord of his clothes for all to see his shame. And it was there upon the cross that Christ was reproached until he gave up the ghost. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. Psalm 22, verses 6-8, through 8, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that He would deliver him. Let Him deliver him, seeing He delighted in him. Psalm 69, 19 through 21. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. Mine adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. And I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 53, 3, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Matthew 27, verses 39 through 44, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him, come, let him now come down from the cross, and we'll, we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him, with him cast the same in his teeth. That's how our Savior died. Outside the camp. I, I, one of those verses actually was inside the city when he gave his back to the smiters. But I wanted to highlight the shame that our Lord endured. But that's how he died outside the city. He died a sinner's death outside the camp. He suffered outside the gate. He was shamed. He was reproached. He was despised. He was dishonored. He was reviled. He was mocked. He endured such contradiction of sinners. And in this, I see Paul's words at the end of Philippians 3.10. 
being made conformable unto his death. To be made conformable means to render like something or someone. It is from the Greek word which is used in Romans 8.29 where we read we are to be conformed into the image of his son. And it's also found in this chapter, this same uh, root word in verse 21 here in Philippians chapter 3 where we read that our body will be changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. That phrase fashioned like unto is the same as being conformed here. Therefore, when Paul says that he may be made conformable to Christ's death, I don't see this as a martyr's complex, but I see this as meaning that he would be willing to follow the Lord without the camp, and that all that took place to Christ, he was willing to endure for Christ. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? With, With that in mind, I want to read Hebrews 13 again, but this time I want to add verse 13, which I left out last time. Hebrews 13, 11 through 13. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Now listen to verse 13. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Everybody get that? What Christ went through, the Bible says, let us follow him. Let us go without the camp with Him. Let us bear His reproach. We are made conformable unto Christ's death when we are following the Lord, even when it isn't pleasant to do so. It's not always going to be, what would Brother DeGarmo say, rainbows and butterflies. Did I get that right, sis? He has so many of those sayings. It's not always going to be pleasant. Now, thank God, most of the time it has been in my life. I've not, I've not strove to blood or whatever the Bible. I've not done that. Okay, so I've had some people slam a door in my face. I don't like to fellowship anyway. Okay, I've had people cuss me out. I mean, what's the worst that we've really suffered? Listen, we'll be ridiculed. We will be reviled for Christ's namesake. But we're not to do like Peter who followed the Lord afar off and then when word began to circulate around the fire that he was part of, that he was associated with Jesus, that we flee. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying I would have done any better than Peter, but it's written there for us to learn from. Where we need to be like John who at least came back to the cross bearing that reproach, standing with him. We bear Christ's reproach all the way to our death. We exit the city, and like Simon of Cyrene, we are compelled to pick up the cross and carry it and bear it. That's being made conformable to Christ's death. Watching that from afar, if you just walked up and you saw Simon, other than the fact that he hadn't been scourged, him carrying a cross, you would think he was the one being crucified. And you see, that's how we're to identify with Christ. People are to know there's something different. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Take up your cross and follow him. That's not a pleasant thing. Hebrews 10, 32 and 33. But call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. We become a gazing stock to the world. You are a bunch of nutty people, right? Following a man you've never seen. Giving of your time, your resources, your talent, your money. The world looks at that and says, you're crazy. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor working with our hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as filth to the world and are the offscuring of all things unto this day. That's being conformed. Paul goes on to write that he he wasn't writing those things to them to shame them, but to warn them as believers. And then Paul says, be ye followers of me. Who wants to be the offspring of the world? Who wants to be a laughing stock? Who wants to be reviled, persecuted, and defamed? Who wants to be thought of as the filth of the world? Paul says, follow me. And so in this passage, we see a continued progression here in Philippians, even further still. We are found in Christ, then we are to know Him more, then we are to get victory over sin and bear fruit, then we are willing to suffer for Him, even if it takes us outside the camp. Get this now, I think it was A.W. Tozer that said, If you saw a man carrying a cross outside of the city, it meant he was not coming back. You knew one thing about a man carrying a cross outside of the city. You knew he wasn't coming back. And that's full maturity in Christ. When one gets to the place where the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. We demonstrate the life of Christ in our bodies when we are followers of Him outside of the camp. We show the world that we have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Galatians 5.24 And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. Now what would compel 
what would compel us to follow the Lord this closely? I think there's no harm in saying that there's a reward day coming. We all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to see what rewards we have awaiting us. I hope you live with that day in mind. Listen, you go to work and you expect a paycheck. The laborer is worthy of his hire. Hebrews 11, 24-26, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a seeming... A season, esteeming the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. We follow our Lord all the way to conformity with his death because we know that the riches of Christ are going to far outweigh anything that we can gain in this world. They are called the unsearchable riches of Christ. They are the the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. And I don't know about you, but when that day comes, I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want my Lord's approval. I want my Lord to smile upon me on that day. And so we learn that after we are found in Christ and we begin to grow in our knowledge of Him, after we begin to know the power of His resurrection and, and share in the fellowship of His sufferings, that as the process of sanctification takes place, we are actually being conformed into the image of Christ. That's the end goal of sanctification, is that we are being conformed. And this is ultimately what every one of us in here tonight ought to desire. We can begin the process of being conformed now. We are told in Romans 12, 2, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. We're told in Romans 8.29 that we are predestinated to be conformed into the image of Christ. Jesus prayed in John 17, verses 22 and 23, And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. You know what Paul is saying? I am little by little being changed into the image of my Savior. As I go to the Word of God, as I live for Him, as I walk with Him, as I give my life to Him, as I, I, I look back at all those things that I did, I count them but loss, that I might win Christ. And so as I close tonight, I want to ask you again this week, where are you at in this process? Are you found in Him? Are you saved? Do you even know that you're in Christ? If not, you need to bow before Christ. Put your faith and trust in Him alone for salvation. If you are found in Him tonight, and I know that's a great many of you, have you been content to just stay where you're at for now? Well, bless God, I'm going to heaven. That's not the Christian life. And if you stay there, you'll never learn the full blessings of being found in Christ and knowing Christ. If you are found in Christ, do you know Him more now than you did last year? 
Are you growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior? Are you moving on from the milk to the meat of God's word? Can you trust God more and can God trust you more? If you are growing, are you desirous to know even more of Christ? Are you getting to know the power of His resurrection? Are you getting victory over sin? Are you bearing fruit? And to those who can say yes to that, have you moved on to the fellowship of His sufferings? And finally, I would ask you tonight, are you willing to follow our Lord outside the camp bearing His reproach? Are you willing to be made conformable unto His death? Are you willing to be in such a state that when people see you, they see Christ? That there's so much of Christ that there's none of you? So where are you at in the process of sanctification? Are you being conformed into Christ's likeness? Are you willing to endure such contradictions of sinners like our Lord did? Isaiah 51, 6-8 says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look unto the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law, fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them up like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool, but my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. I want to tell you tonight, church, stay faithful. There's going to be sufferings. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You may be shamed, you may be reproached, you may be despised, you may be dishonored, you may be reviled, you may be mocked, but don't be disheartened, for this is how they treated our Lord which means you're in good company if you are being shamefully entreated for Christ's name's sake. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Would you pray with me, please?